This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. to connect with Community Waikato on Free FM 89.0. I'm Holly Snape uh, here from Community Waikato and have two other beautiful people in the studio with me representing two amazing community organisations. Vicky from the Citizens Advice Bureau and my neighbour. Um, and then further away from us, but still in the CBD, is, is Tony from Young Workers Resource Centre. Welcome to both of you. Thank you for both coming. And today we're going to have kind of a conversation about two things. We're going to, we're going to talk really about um, some of the broader issues. First of all, the sorts of things that you guys are seeing on the ground working directly with our community members. And then we'll start looking at what we do as a sector to support that. And then what are some of the challenges we face in being able to do it? That's essentially our show today. <laughs> are we all on the same page, people? Hopefully. Fantastic. That sounds great. <laughs> First of all, to you, Vicky, what are some of the key things that you're seeing? And we hear some global issues impacting us at the moment around things like inflation. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. we're hearing Due fuel prices. Events, yeah, 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 yeah. But a lot of things squeezing people. Are you seeing that come through with the sorts of conversations you guys are having with the public? Definitely. I mean... New Zealand isn't completely isolated from world events, so it's always going to impact on us. And w- inflation has been steadily increasing over quite some time, and it is definitely squeezing people in different ways. So we're getting a lot more requests for a sort of food parcels and free food, um, and we should probably promote Kaivolution at this point and yes. talk about the fact that what they do, um, they're a not-for-profit that stops uh, waste food going to... Sorry. Landfill. <laughs> Landfill, yeah. thank yeah. you. And they, they, a lot of the community centres put out free food for people, and we've noticed a lot of requests for that. We've also noticed a lot of students are really struggling at the moment because um, they're going to uni for the first time, they're trying to figure out budgets and everything else, and inflation is increasing. And I think Vicky Swarbrick has just come out recently with some commentary around that, saying that on average students are spending over half of their income yep. in accommodation costs. Yeah, rent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A, yeah. Rent is pretty high at the moment. We've also just done a really great... Um, meeting about unenforceable tenancy clauses because just because a landlord puts it in your tenancy contract doesn't mean it's actually enforceable so just double check that kind of thing but how would someone even know what what was an unenforceable tenancy (laughs) clause i mean i imagine that's not just general knowledge no it's not and i think unfortunately sometimes because it's sort of and it's not all landlords and it's not all tenants of course it's just unfortunately because renting is is really high at the moment. Um, there's a lot of competition for it. Landlords have a lot of authority and power at the moment, and unfortunately, some of them will use it to create a more pleasant experience for them, which isn't necessarily <laughs> legal. Yeah. So things like you can't have friends around after 9 p.m. <gasps> Do people put that in a... <laughs> That's insane. Well, you know, it, it can happen, and there's other ones. You know, when landlords just show up to do um, inspections and things like that, and it is about communication, and unfortunately, Tenants are in, they've got less power at this point because if they argue with their landlords, if they say we don't yeah. like this, then they get, they get their tenancy ended and then suddenly they're looking for a new place. So always check, you know, mm. even if it's a standard tenancy agreement and a flatmate agreement, especially, just give us a call and double check the clauses and make sure that they're right. What's the difference between a tenancy agreement and a flatmate agreement? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm, I'm the manager. I'm not sure I'm the volunteer. <laughs> um, the main difference is that tenancy services doesn't cover flatmate agreements. So if you have an issue with your flatmate, you can't go to tenancy services for advice and support. Um, but they do have a lot of documents online about how to make hassle-free um, agreements between flatmates. So yeah. just be really clear on the expectations when you enter a flatmate agreement. Make sure you know who your head tenant is. Make sure you get receipts for your bond money and be really clear about when you end your tenancy, how it works. Yeah, oh, that sounds like great advice, Vicky. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, you could it's be what we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From your perspective, Tony, you know, I, I, we're hearing about people in the labour market. Um, we're hearing about people being worried about their jobs. Are you seeing the impact of what's happening globally play out in terms of what's happening locally? Um, I guess people, I mean, wages aren't really increasing with the with the price of no. um, everything else that's going up. You know, people obviously feeling pressure at the pump. That's kind of a bit of a, a buzz phrase at the moment, but but it's a pretty painful experience for a lot of people. Um, I mean, that yeah, pe- people. Yeah, there is a vulnerability around uh, employment at the moment, uh, and you know, combining that with the the you know the increase in, in living costs um, is definitely causing a lot of uncertainty and and I guess a bit of fear for people. Yeah, um, is there you know? Do you have any concerns as someone who works in the space and, and supports particularly young people? Mm. Do you are there concerns about what might happen with these? With the borders opening again and employers looking to bring back more uh, cheaper labour. Uh, I mean, yeah, I haven't, I haven't given it too much thought, and maybe there's been a bit of privilege there that, like, since the borders have been closed, there has been a a, a bit of a boom in employment opportunities for for Often people our most in the country. Eh, as yeah, well. yeah, yeah, they haven't been the greatest employment opportunities, and they've still had all the same problems with. Um, you know, yes. uh, volatility and, and precariousness and, and, and employers that don't really know how to be employers. Um, and But yeah, if we if we welcome back uh, an influx of, of migrant labour into the country, there, there is always the, um, the chance that, that that paradigm where that drives down conditions because people yep. are willing to accept any sort of work comes that, back into effect. That, that if we were going to get academic, that reserve army of labour, eh, and the yeah. impact that that can actually have um, on our... On yeah. our communities, and particularly what ones clustered yeah. in spaces around, um, uh, you know, not full time work anyway, but often contracted or um, fixed term, mm-hmm. um, low paid, um, all of the entry level stuff often. Yeah, and I know that employers have been complaining a lot and are really looking forward to having that pulled of that, that reserve army yeah. to, to lean on again. Um, so, yeah, it does send a signal that, that they're, they're willing and able to kind of go back to that, that well. Um, and, you know, if we look at employer behaviour going going back, they, they will take the cheaper option wherever possible. Yeah. So we, we've got to try and make it, like, harder for them to do that and, and provide really quality opportunities uh, in the in the labour market for migrants to come into, not just the cheap cheap labour opportunities. I yeah. think they just too often get even... And they come in with a lot of skills a lot of the time, but there isn't... They're not kind of... It's not easy for them to, to find a place to apply those skills that they have yeah. and they end up in... Which undercuts yes. everyone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's hard because I think um, as a country... I mean, my theory, and I could be so wrong, but my theory has been as, as quite an isolated country. <laughs> We've traditionally not been very good at listening to people with accents. 
different from our own. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think sometimes, you know, you, you often hear people getting quite challenged when they're on the phone with somebody who's um, not from New Zealand and frustrated that they can't understand that accent. And I, I do wonder if it's an issue around isolation. We haven't been as exposed, perhaps, as some other places. If you're living in a place where there are lots of different borders and lots of different accents... Mm. Maybe you're because your ear becomes more attuned to it the more you're in it, you know. Definitely, we were actually talking about this the other day because we ask for demographic questions when people call us. If we do an interview, we ask for gender, age, and everything else. And one of the things we st- we always ask is what is your what ethnicity do you identify as? But we've actually started asking what is your ethnicity or nationality that you identify as because it's different in Europe, it's different yes. in other places, and we have a lot of clients who are foreign, and they'll be like. I don't understand. I'm white. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Um, yeah. But actually, I'm Portuguese or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm French or yeah. American. Um, and we found it here as well that people struggle with the ethnicity question as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that that creates some barriers for people accessing employment um, when they've perhaps got stronger? 100%. 100%. Yeah. And even in employment, it creates mm. barriers once they've got yep. into the job. And we see, we, we have a lot of cases where... Um, you know, there, there might be someone with a different accent who uh, is is getting put through a process, and they're kind of getting the short end of the stick of that yep. process because um, they don't kind of understand the system. Yes, um, and and we we we're kind of seeing that employers tend to they don't really give them the benefit of the doubt. And um, actually, yeah. and that's fundamental, isn't it? Because. Yeah. A fundamental underpinning principle of um, the Employment Act is around good faith. Yeah. Which, which is yeah. exactly what oh, you're saying. Critical. They're not doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So that's that's yeah. It's at the foundation of our whole um, employment yeah. relations framework is, is giving people the benefit of the doubt. Um, but yeah, there's there's sort of, I guess they're, they're kind of easy targets in a way, sadly. Um, and then they don't know how to respond, um, you know, tactically or appropriately to the to the situation. They yeah. just kind of get a bit scared, and and then you know, there's barriers, language barriers, culture barriers. Um, they they need specific support to navigate yeah. that. And, and, it, and that dovetails a little bit into um, what you guys can do then. So we're going to turn a little bit to that and, and talk about how you guys are able to support some of the people that are coming through with these sorts of issues. So, you know, um, what would you do, Tony, in, in that type of environment? What, what can young workers do for somebody who's facing that type of challenge? We can. We are pretty much a one-stop shop for employment um, relations help, and not to get confused with helping people find work because that's not really yes. our cope. But, but you know, if you're having uh, um, employment issues within your work, um, we're quite skilled at, at helping you navigate those. Whether that's just um, in, in, in this context, if it's someone who is, is has communication challenges, um, we can be that. Um, that person to help you um, communicate and make sure that with the employer, with the company, and make sure that the process is treating you fairly, and that and, yeah. and sort of keep tabs on the employer, make sure they're doing that properly. Or it could be actually about you know going back and getting justice for for um, uh, a way that you've been treated that that wasn't fair. So yeah. you might have actually left your employment. Either you quit because because you felt really unfairly treated, or perhaps you were dismissed and you didn't think it was right, they could actually still come to you and have that conversation and, and you could talk them through whether or not there was recourse? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important because uh, you don't want to... A lot of the time people are feeling pretty pretty low uh, if they have an experience like that and it's really hard to kind of segue back into the labour market yeah. um, from there. But 
if you're able to actually successfully challenge an employer who who hasn't kind of treated you fairly in that type of situation, it can make that a lot easier and and, and you feel a lot more dignified and confident. And a bit vindicated, eh? Yeah, you kind of need that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It also reminds the employer that they can't just continue to treat people like this as well. So it has a really positive knock-on effect in the organisation as well. That is absolutely key, isn't it? Because, you know, as an employer, if you get, or as a, or as a tenancy um, manager or, you know, whatever we're talking about, if you're getting away with something, you might not even know. I mean, yes, to good be fair, faith here, yeah. you mm. might not even know that it's not the right thing to do. Yeah. You might think that you're acting within the law and within your rights. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so if you continue to do it without having that challenge, yeah. it makes sense you might, can, yeah. And some organisations will have entrenched cultural bias. They will, and it's especially smaller organisations, and they may not even see it until someone stands up and goes, actually, that doesn't apply to me, and I would appreciate not being treated like that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a learning curve for everyone. And so when people come to you, um, Vicky, to the CAB, it won't always be to you. You've got a massive (laughs) volunteer team, and Tony, you've got a big team of six now. Yeah. Not not scoffing, because you know what? It was one one person for... (laughs) I don't know how long, and yeah. and I know that many um, leaders before you have have worked really hard to look at how to grow this model, and so under your leadership you've done it, and I think that's fantastic. So congratulations! It means that you can reach so many more people, and I know you're not just in the Waikato now, which is awesome. Mm. Um, Vicky, you've got a crazy team of <laughs> I don't even know how many volunteers. Fifty-five. Yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah. And I want to grow that as well. So yeah. if you're interested in volunteering. Manager.hamilton at cab.org.nz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or Google Hamilton CAB, yeah. I'm sure you'll find it. Um, so, yeah, when, when people come to you, Vicky, how is it that you or the volunteers are able to assist? So um, what we do with everyone who walks in is we break down what the actual problem is um, because sometimes a client will come to us, and I'm sure Tony has this all the time as well, where they're 100% in the right, they know they were completely valid in their argument and that there's no way they're wrong, and we sit down and go, we're really sorry, but you are completely in the wrong. Yeah. So we <laughs> have to... Is that a hard conversation is, to have? It's a very gentle conversation yeah. to have where you, you walk them through the research with you yeah. so that it dawns on them during the conversation. So it, it, we've never really had anyone sort of go no I'm ignoring your advice completely yeah so most people are, and because they're emotional as well I mean yeah. you know employment issues are, in, are incredibly attached to our sense of self-worth as well you mm. know so yeah. it is very emotional when people come in and they say look this is what's happened so a lot of the time it is sort of just talking it through figuring it out and then breaking down the problem and then if they're under 35, we immediately hand them off to Tony and his team. Yes. <laughs> no, we do some research and we assess whether or not that's the best option. But we do refer to young workers a lot. Yeah. Because we know they're a really strong organization that do start to end support. So it's really good. Um, it's interesting you say that. We're, we're going to come back to that a little bit because that to me is a bit about the solution. And I want to start looking at what some of the issues are. Um as, as a sector and obviously working together is really helpful but as we do face challenges as a sector where mm. you know like 55 volunteers it's a lot of volunteers a team of six is certainly bigger than a team of one but but it's a <laughs> lot of people we're dealing with a eh? mm. with with teams that are small we've got a team of 10 that that works right across the whole Waikato region um for every community and social service organization should they require it like mm. you know we we're doing big mahi eh, over with very limited resources so i wanted to sort of turn a little bit to what are some of the challenges as organizations you guys face and then we'll look at how what some of the solutions might be so cab 
Um, and the challenges we face, we've talked about this before on, on a couple of different times. I mean, the challenges we face is one is our reputation. Um, sometimes people see the CAB as, as a little bit antiquated and sort of just a there for gentle advice. They don't see us as experts yeah. in what we do. You know, and, and, you know, you, I think we're all a little bit, victim's the wrong word, but we all suffer a little bit from um, perception of the not-for-profit yep. sector as well, Definitely. where it's seen as not quite professional, yeah. um, you know, not quite quality, um, the cheap way to go, <laughs> you know, rather than, you know, I don't know, accessing a lawyer. Yeah. You know? It's the human way to go. Yeah, look, <laughs> and I think that's exactly right. Like, what we provide is, like, it is a different service from perhaps those um, for-profit-driven organisations but the difference is we don't have profit as our um as our guiding star yeah. as our motivating mm. feature we we have outcomes and people <laughs> you know that that our purpose is what drives us yeah yeah the impact we want to have on society is what pushes us forward yeah. that's right mm. but i do think you know it's interesting you raised that the cab is sort of having that reputation and and have you found have you ever faced that tony as as young workers resource center that, um, that perception sometimes you're not the the big guys. Yeah, the big a lot guns. of yeah, yeah, A lot of the time people ask us if if we have lawyers working for us, uh, or you, you know, um, if if yeah, there is a lot of questions around that, and sort of like, and, and built into that question is, are we competent enough to mm, be doing what we what it. we say we do? Yeah. Um, and uh, I enjoy I enjoy that question, um, but <laughs> but it is one I get a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, there there is a, an assumption that you have to f- sort of fit within a certain framework to provide mm. um to, to to help people and to work towards that kind of systemic change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think um you hit the nail on the head with the word competent. Mm. You know, because I think that's, you know, that's the challenge we face sometimes. We get frustrated at Community Wakata. We're not delivering service directly to clients. We're deli- we're delivering it to community organizations, but it's really interesting how um we'll have people work with us and then all of a sudden another opportunity comes along which costs three or five thousand dollars and they want that strategic yeah. planning not our strategic planning it's like we don't do a substandard job we could charge you three or five thousand dollars we've, we've just already been funded to do this like we, yeah. we're getting paid to do it yeah. just not by you yeah you know and i think that's sometimes what people forget I agree, and I also think that people think that if you're volunteering for a role, then maybe you're not good enough to be paid for it, and that mm. makes me really angry yeah. because yeah. my team is amazing, and you know sometimes people will get upset on the phone. They'll be like, "Well, what do you know?" And it's like, "Well, well then let's not have that question. Let's go somewhere else because there's a lot we could answer." And but it yeah. is—it's about competence and it's about value and how we place value in a not-for-profit. Yeah, you know, and because we don't charge for our services, they don't have value. I mean. You know, has even more value. We're doing this because we want to yeah. help you, yeah. not exactly. because we want to get paid. That's yeah. nice. No we KPIs, need that, but, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> always good to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder sometimes if you know, because yeah, I wonder if sometimes people don't realise we have the same kind of accountability and culpability. Should we give someone the wrong advice? I feel like yeah. we have more accountability in the not-for-profit sector. I mean, I, f- I feel as if we're moving forward in a way that's really strong. And, and that's one of the bureaus trying to do is we're trying to do sort of um, evidence-based results. So when we go to our funders, we can say, look, we've actually managed to do this. Because I think sometimes not-for-profits rely on we do good. 
and then funders go how and it's like well we do good (laughs) and I think that um, when you can try at least to provide some sort of evidence um, you are accountable for what you're doing but I feel as if we're constantly being judged like no matter how much accountability we present we're always being seen as well are you though you're a charity are you good it's like actually we're better (laughs) within that that is one of the challenges like actually providing evidence for Mm. for something uh and and being sort of expected to put a lot of work into measuring what your impact is when a lot of the time that can be very difficult to measure like the impact you have on a person and how they interact with the world it's a whole other art like it's it's a whole it's a whole profession (laughs) you know and 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 here we are with i don't know 6 FTE or, or 3.5 FTE doing um, already overworked and somehow have to have a yeah. professional background doing evaluations yeah. and yeah. impacting. But, but impact then our modeling. funding source and our resources yes. are contingent yeah. on our ability to convey that yeah. to the powers that be. It's certainly a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One that we don't yeah. probably have enough time to go into yeah. too much. <laughs> we, we, we could talk about that forever. Um, and I think lots of the funders understand it, like mm. they get it, mm. but they also... They also want the information. There's yes. a tension there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I don't know if we've quite hit the, the right the right balance on it. And, and obviously there's a huge variation across yeah. from funder to funder in, in terms of mm. what is needed or asked for there. Yeah. And, and we understand there's boxes to tick and all that. Yeah, that's uh, right. But, and yeah. I think one of the solutions is around um, maintaining those relationships with funders. And I think in the Waikato region, we do actually have We are quite lucky good, here. Yeah. yeah, It's always nice to see a funder at an, at an AGM or yeah. a, even a meeting or a networking thing because they're actually on the ground listening to us just talk to each other as yeah. people yeah. and not when we're putting on our professional voice for our accountability reports that make yes. it sound super proactive and solution-focused. Yeah. And we're just talking about what we've done that day or what we've done that week and we're passionate and we're driven and they see that part of the conversation. And even better when the public's turned up to that too. Yeah. <laughs> they can see they can see the relationships you have in your communities and, and I think that that's really mm. helpful as well. Um, you alluded to something a little earlier when you talked about the way that you guys work together as the CAB, completely separate entity from Young Workers Resource Centre, but you two have a relationship in, in terms of how you provide services. And I thought you might just talk to us a little bit about how you see that as a bit of a solution for strengthening our sector? Mm. I think collaboration is incredibly important in the not-for-profit sector and I think unfortunately sometimes there's too much competition. Yeah, And I why think, though? Like, Why is there competition? I think it's funding. It's, mm. it's driven by funding but it's also driven by new ideas. You know, We have a new idea, we really want to roll it out and try it out and there's a little bit of a secrecy to it. We don't really want to discuss it with each other in case either it goes wrong or it goes, you know... And intellectual property. Yeah. Someone just stealing it. <laughs> it's, it incre- it's incredible, isn't it? Because what we're trying to do as a not-for-profit sector is change society mm. for the better. Like yeah. we're, yep. we're, we're trying to create systemic change, um, but any effort to do that needs to be collective. But yes. we're all off, on, <laughs> going on different directions, yeah. um, trying to pursue that change because of the funding model, because of the lack of an overarching strategy that is mm. sort of helped facilitated by you know central government or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, so so CAB and, and Young Workers Resource Centre working together is, I guess, a small contribution to trying to um, connect the dots a bit more and see yeah. where our kind of unique strengths are and play to those and support each other in that way. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and it's hard though because relationships take time, eh? And and take trust. <laughs> and that's the problem as well because with a not for profit sector you have staff retention issues. Yes. Because you're not paying a competitive wage, mm. because you're constantly under pressure and because you join organizations based on ideals, you do have burnout. And that mm. means that if you do get a great leader in an organization who moves the uh, an organization forward for two or three years, then they leave. That can create a vacuum as well. Um, but you hope that you've mm. instigated enough collaborative initiatives that they can t- continue to work together. And I think actually it's a good point. And as your teams grow, so as you end up not just being one individual anymore, mm. if we can find as leaders ways to bring our teams in to those collaborative conversations, because often what we do is talk as leaders. Eh? Um, but yeah, finding ways to bring the others along yeah. in that so that there's more resilience um, and depth to those organisational, inter-organisational relationships. Yeah, I'm just going to promote young workers here because I was at their AGM <laughs> yesterday evening at a ridiculously late time <laughs> and um, just sitting within their team as they went round and introduced themselves and to see the way they bonded and worked together and had a shared vision was really inspiring. Um, it's just because we're stuck in like a, a tiny little cubicle. No, no, for don't, don't do that. It's really amazing. I think it helps that they're all there. young, vibrant, energetic people. And, and that's really, I think that is really helpful, having a team like that. Because young yeah. people are really innovative and have high levels of energy. And I think sometimes our young people get quite a bad rap, you know, that somehow <laughs> self-entitled, which I think is hilarious coming from baby boomers. Anyway, we're not even going to get into that Yeah, let's not, because um, once again, I would like to represent my team. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're very in tune with mm. uh, the, the problems of society and they, and they have a thirst for changing it. They always yeah. have. And, and we really need to and that's always going to be a dynamic of yep. youth and we need to make sure we harness it mm. instead of sort of distance ourselves silencing that's it as right well. yeah. and actually it's really neat when you when you sort of say that because i know your team isn't all a group <laughs> of elderly people or older persons i know they're not all like that but no. you do have quite a number of retired people who are highly trained professionals yeah. who have reached a point where they want to give back and they have the time to do that yeah. but it is interesting looking at that there's often opposite ends of the spectrum here and yet your two organisations can work together really well and in fact you probably bring quite different you know, skills to the table because of that. Yeah, I've noticed that when there's obstacles to collaboration between organisations, they're they're not authentic. They've been made up by one person within an organisation who's gone yeah. like, I don't really like young workers because they're young. And you're like, well, <laughs> is that an actual issue for collaboration? Um, yeah. But I am quite lucky because my board, I've got two retired and a three, a three in their 20s and one in their, a two in their 40s. So I'm quite lucky with yeah. that sort of broad spectrum. But collaboration is key towards yeah. organisations and young workers have really helped us out with sort of under 35 year olds facing yeah. employment issues. I think one of the barriers to collaboration in the not-for-profit sector is that there's very little kind of coordinate, central coordination mm. of that collaboration and it becomes a, such a huge um, piece of labour for yeah. or onus to put on on the organisations themselves to try and facilitate that um, with all the work they're trying to do and the impact they're trying to have with their services. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, you always need some sort of centralised coordination or leadership. I feel like it's us getting the finger pointed <laughs> right there because absolutely we can do that. And and as we're running out of time, it's probably a great time to say the conference is coming up <laughs> this is your time yeah and, and actually that is um one of the one of the primary motivating um factors for the conference for us is around bringing our community organizations together and enabling some of those conversations to happen mm. start of that you know that cross-pollination but also the relationship building this yeah, so we can take some time and be together 
So yeah. that is happening. It's happening in September. Uh, registrations are open right now as we speak. So if you're from the not-for-profit sector and you're interested in coming along, do jump on our website, um, communitywakato.org.nz. And we've got just enough time for me to say thank you to both of you for coming in today. Um, <laughs> we'll continue our conversation off air very shortly. <laughs> <laughs> but I do really appreciate um, having, having you come in and to have this chat. Thanks. Always a pleasure. So that is um, the CAB Young Workers Resource Centre and this is me with Connect the Community Waikato on Free FM 89.0. Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.